Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now, we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. guys. So Relationship Goals Week 1, brand new series, as uh, Nate and Road Dog said. It is going to catch on, Stephen. Um, but before we kind of dive into this brand new series, and, and by the way, my name is Anthony. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here at Revolution. Um, I, I just want to catch you up because like, we just finished like, the most amazing month ever at Revolution. Like, the, the, yeah, the, the start of this year... I'm just telling you, the way we brought in 2020 was just unreal and like united us as a church on the same page moving forward. So I, I just want to, like if you're brand new or fairly new or missed a week of that, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page as we dive into this new series. So uh, we, we just, we finished up better together where we said we're going to be a, a church that is all about, you know, three big things, celebrating Jesus. We're going to celebrate Jesus, that first symbol there, that vertical relationship with Jesus. Publicly, we're going to gather as a church and celebrate, and we're going to personally celebrate. Where We're going to have rhythms in our life to celebrate Jesus. We said we're going to be a church that connects with others. That second symbol there, we're going to connect within and beyond, within the church family, outside the church family. We're going to build close connections, and then we are going to be a church that contributes Everything, like we've been given so much and we, we've got to give so much away, like the time, talents, resources, money, energy, passions, all that we've been given, we contribute to make a difference in our church, our community, and beyond. And we spelled out this, this last month, we spelled out the three to five year vision for our church that's found within these three words and these three symbols. We have this massive vision for this next season. And if you missed it, like, or, or maybe like we, we handed out these half-page documents every week. If you misplaced one of those or you missed a week and you didn't get one, they're going to be at Next Steps all month long. So you, like, we want those on your fridge somewhere where we're praying over this constantly as a church. We're going to have this all on our website. There's going to be big posters out in the lobby in the coming, uh, coming months where that, that vision's just going to be in front of us at all times. We're thinking about it. We're praying over it because God... We need you to move. We're, we're just expecting of that. So, so that's what our January series was all about. And last Sunday, we challenged everyone to become partners of Revolution. So they, they started the celebration and the welcome. Let me officially celebrate that there were 372 of you that took that step of partnership. 372 Revolution partners. And, and we're actually still trying to figure out the exact amount because some of those were like family, family signed one card. So we're, we're not sure exactly what the total number of people is yet, but that's how many cards we received. And, and, and really quick, I just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page about partnership and we understand it and you know who it's for, what it is kind of thing. It, maybe if you were here last week and you were thinking, well, I'm already, I've been part of this for a long time and I'm in a life group and I'm already, you know, uh, serving and giving and I'm, I'm, I'm already a partner. We still want you to 
fill out one of these partner certificates. Because uh, here, here's what partnership lo- the, the certificate looks like right here on the screen. And if you didn't fill out this last week and you want to be a partner, we, we believe there's power in commitment. That's another big C word, to signing your name to something. So we want everybody that wants to partner with us in this to sign one of those certificates to be a 3C disciple. We're doing it together as revolution because we're better together. So here's how you can, if, if you just, that wasn't clear or maybe you missed a week or missed last week specifically, those partner certificates are going to be out at the Welcome Center every week. So if, if you're like, man, I forgot to sign that or uh, I had to get out of here real quick or I missed last week. We want you to sign one of these partner certificates to say, I'm, I'm in with this season. So you can grab one. You can sign it out there at next, uh, the Welcome Center. We're going to give you a t-shirt. Just, hey, you're, you're in this thing with us. And we might not have your size because we ran out of a lot of sizes last week, but we'll, we'll put that down on the order and we'll get you your size. Um, so, and again, if this is your first week and you're like, man, I want to know about what, what this new season is for Revolution, all the talks from January are online, YouTube, on our YouTube channel and on uh, Facebook, Spotify, lots of different places where you can get caught up. And if you want to join us on this journey all month long, you can go out to Welcome Center. So again, that's what last month was all about. And in many ways, what we realized is we just kind of touched the surface of what these symbols and these words mean. So throughout the year and throughout the years, I should say, of this journey, we're going to deep dive. We're going to do series that will deep dive into one of these three C words. And in this relationship goal series, what what it really is is a deep dive into the word connect. Because here's here's where we're going this month. We're going to have four relationship goals that we're going to look at over the four uh, Sundays in February. And here are those four goals. Connection goals, they all start with a C. C's the coolest letter, right? Connection goals, conflict goals, communication goals, commitment goals. You're like, oh my. Yeah, we are are in for a journey. And this this is going to relate to all relationships, marriages, dating relationships, workplace relationships, family, friends. I mean, you you name it. All of these goals that we're going to look at will will relate to that. So you do not want to miss a week of this as we journey ahead. All right, you excited? You excited for this series? All right, so let's just, let's just dive in. Um, so uh, after Christmas or over Christmas break, our family was able to get away for a few days. And some of you maybe saw on Facebook or Instagram that we were able to take the kids to their very first Dallas Cowboys game. And uh, it was our first Dallas Cowboys game, so bucket list item kind of checked off. And what, what we've been doing, because we've got a 13-year-old and a 12-year-old now, so we, we've really been making Christmas about making memories, making memories and not just buying stuff now. So, so we bought them Cowboys tickets, and we drove to Dallas, and they were standing room-only tickets. That's all we could afford, because those Cowboy tickets are not cheap. So that, and that's another story for another day, standing room-only with kids. But, uh, and the Cowboys won. A meaningless game. It, it, it meant nothing. Welcome to the world of being a Dallas Cowboys fan. But, but here's the story. On the way back, we stopped halfway in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, just to, we didn't want to drive the whole way back in one day. So we stop in Memphis, and we get this hotel. It's got a nice little pool and hot tub area. And me and the boys go down to the pool to hang out and spend some time. And we're, we're just hanging out, having a good time in this pool area. And in walks two ladies. And they're, they're probably about my age, maybe a little bit younger, and they are dolled up to the nines, like they're, they got makeup and jewelry and their hair's all fancied up, and, and they're wearing these interesting like robe type things. And, 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 and here's the other thing we noticed, as they walk into the pool area, they're taking selfies. 
They make, they make their way over to the hot tub, which is where my oldest son, Jake, and I were kind of hanging out for a few minutes. The whole way to the hot tub, they're taking selfies. They, they climb down into the hot tub, taking selfies. They hang out for a little while in the hot tub. The whole time they're in the hot tub, they're taking selfies. They get out of the hot tub, taking selfies. They walk down the steps into the pool, taking selfies. They get out of the pool and walk back out, taking selfies. I promise, church, this is true. They were in the pool area for around 60 or so minutes. They never stopped taking selfies, ever, not even for a second. Jake and actually, as they walked out, Jake and goes, their storage must be full. That's why they walked out. <laughs> I've, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. They never acknowledged each other's existence. Like, we're assuming they were together because they came in and left together and they were wearing similar weird robes. So we just, but they, they never like made eye contact with anyone in the pool area, thank goodness, because we were laughing hysterically at them. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I don't know how they didn't trip and fall into the pool at some point. I mean, they, they never stopped taking selfies. The weirdest thing, I've, funniest thing I've ever seen. And selfies are just so interesting, aren't they? Like, we, we're in a selfie world right now, and like, people just love taking pictures of themselves. And we've even invented the thing called the selfie stick. Have you seen these? The selfie stick, which the, the whole point of a selfie stick is to get a, <laughs> that's awesome, is to get a better picture of yourself, right? And it's, it's so weird because, like, there's always been a surefire way to get a good picture of you. You know, ever since the photograph was invented, you know what it is? Asking someone else to take it, right? Yeah. But no, we, we like the selfie and we like the selfie stick and you got you to gotta get the right angle. You don't want to be down here, right, and do the double chin thing. You got to get that thing high, you know, duck facing, whatever it is. But people just love taking selfies and, and we've just kind of removed even in picture taking we've removed the the human interaction element of even taking a photograph and see the the selfie to me is just a, a surface level outcome of a deep problem in our culture and, and by the way nothing wrong with selfies okay I take selfies you just, sometimes you have to if you're the only person in the mirror you know or whatever it might be but nothing wrong with selfies that's not what I'm saying I just think the selfie is a surface indicator of a deep problem. And let me explain. And we, we've talked about this before as a church, but I, I, this is the issue of our day, I believe. So let, let me just give some stats, and this is from a Cigna Healthcare uh, research. that They, they surveyed 20,000 Americans and found some interesting things out. 20, 2018, they found out that 46% of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone. And that number's doubled in the last 50 years. They did this survey 50 years ago. It was one in four. Um, 47% say they rarely or never have meaningful in-person interactions with others. 20% say they rarely or never feel close to people. 13% say zero people know them well. And, and maybe those statistics surprise you, maybe not. Uh, maybe you're like, well, that just makes sense. Or, or maybe you find yourself in some of those stats. I know I have at many different points in life. And it was interesting because this week, you know, knowing the topic of what we were going to talk about today, I went to this gathering of pastors and the, the speaker at this event, he talked about loneliness with pastors and how like, it's definitely a problem in our culture, but it's even elevated among lead pastors. And he shared this statistic from Barna Research, 66% uh, of lead pastors feel like they have no genuine friendships. And I'm so thankful to not be in that 66% number. 
Because the culture that has been built at Revolution has helped me tremendously. I mean, just this culture of authenticity. And hopefully it's helped many of you as well. Because again, like all of this is why our Revolution theme is better together. Because we believe loneliness is the issue of our day. And this loneliness is that that core issue that leads to so many things like depression and suicide and anxiety and and addiction and divorce and many, like, but the core thing that we're dealing with as a culture is loneliness. It is the sickness of 21st century American culture brought on in many ways by this social media thing that we still don't completely understand and by changing technology at a pace that our brains and psychology cannot keep up with and sin and, and many other things. And through all of this, what I've come to realize is many people don't know how to have real authentic relationships anymore. That people are longing for this, absolutely, but we don't know how to do it or where to go to find these types of relationships. And if Better Together was about the what and why, this series is about the how. We're going to talk about how. How do we just cure this sickness in our lives? Because at Revolution, we believe that relationships, the single most important thing in our lives are relationships. Like as a church community, we believe that uh, processes are important, programs are important, projects are important, policies are important, but nothing is more important than people. Like that's one of our values as leaders. Like we choose people over everything. It's about people, right? Like we need people. Every person that's ever lived needs people. Even Jesus. Check this out. I, I, I had this like aha moment this week in relation to Jesus. I'd never seen this before. I was reading through Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 3 is where Jesus chooses the 12 disciples. If you didn't know, Jesus had these 12 guys that spent the majority of time with him during his earthly ministry. And Mark 3 is where he chooses these 12 guys. And I'd never seen this before, but here's what it says in Mark 3 about this. It says, he appointed, that's Jesus, he appointed 12, let's read this, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You catch that? Like, I, I'd never seen this before. Jesus didn't just choose 12 guys so he could launch the church and accomplish his mission of changing the world. Jesus knew he needed relationships. The purpose of choosing these guys wasn't just to raise them up so they could go out and preach and reach people. It was so that they might be with him. So that Jesus had relationships. So that Jesus wasn't alone. Even Jesus. Because, I mean, we said it last month. We read this verse at the beginning of the Bible. God creates the universe, creates the animals. And the first man, Adam, and God says, we read it last month, it's not good for man to be alone. Right there in the very beginning, chapter 2 of the Bible. But that verse, it's the beginning of a story, actually. So let's, let's look at this story today, because there is such depth in this story that we see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis. So let's keep going after this statement. It says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is God again speaking. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Easiest job God ever had, right? We've talked about that before. NASCAR and a recliner. That's all he needed right there. So man falls into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of man. And let's read this. He brought her to the man. 
Now, hang on. We're, we're going to come back to that in just a second. That's really important. That's a really important statement. Verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Interesting side note here. In the original Hebrew, which the Old Testament of the Bible was originally written down in Hebrew, and Genesis, first book of the Old Testament, what Adam says here actually rhymes. How beautiful is that? Like the very first recorded human words to one another is a poem celebrating that we were no longer alone. And real quick, guys, okay, Valentine's Day is coming up in 12 days. Let this be a challenge to you. If Adam can write a poem without Google, without a thesaurus, without Microsoft Word, it's just him, his lady, and a garden, and he's inspired to write a poem, then you can write a poem to your significant other this Valentine's Day. You can do it, gentlemen. It might be the cheesiest thing ever. It might be the cheesiest thing since violence, violets are, roses are red, violets are blue, nothing as pretty as you, or what? And you can't steal that one, because I just gave it to you. But I mean, in, in, so Google's your friend, a thesaurus, a dictionary is your friend, but I want to see some cheesy poetry coming out of revolution this Valentine's Day. I want it posted, ladies. I want, it, I want the world to see that. We'll see. That's the hardest challenge I've ever given the men at revolution. We'll see how we do with it. Okay, back to the story. So remember that underlying part. That, let, let's throw it back on the screen. This is so important to get from this story. God brought her to the man. It's, it's here that we see something that is true throughout the entire Bible, a truth about God that is so important, that God is a provider that loves to give good gifts to his kids. And I don't think this passage is just talking about a marriage relationship. It is describing the kind of connection that we all long for with others. This companionship, this solution to the loneliness dilemma is something God provides because he knows we were never meant to do life alone. God is a provider that loves to give good gifts to his kids. This is a truth about the God we worship at Revolution. This is who God is. And if maybe you're here today and you're not sure about God. You don't even, like, you're not even sure you believe in God quite yet. Or maybe you're somewhat angry at God or you feel frustrated with God because you feel like, man, he, he's not come through on some things that you ask him to provide or he's given you some bad gifts or however. Like, man, please keep coming to Revolution. And, and more than that, get connected at Revolution because I, I truly believe in this church community you will discover that God is a provider that loves to give good gifts to his kids. We see this in the very beginning and all throughout scripture. And then here, here's the final verse of Genesis chapter 2. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And the chapter ends there because we know what happens next. I'm not going there today, okay? We're not going there. But here, here's, here's what they experienced right here. Vulnerability without shame. This is what they experienced. The, the perfect picture of unblemished connection. See, this right here is our original design for relationships. This is what deep down we're all wired for. Th this right here, this is the connection goal. If you're writing something down, vulnerability without shame. And, and by the way, this is not just the level of relationship God wants us to have with each other. This is the type of relationship God wants us to have with him. Totally open, no shame vulnerability without shame. But as, as some of you I'm sure know, this, that's not the end of the story because very quickly this connection 
this relationship goal, this vulnerability without shame was severed. And here's what happens. Next chapter, verse 1. Now the serpent, our spiritual enemy, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And isn't that how Satan tempts us to? Like, you sure, you sure God said that? Like, I don't know if that was God. I don't know if you heard that right. That's exactly how we're tempted. Now, typically this temptation has been depicted as the temptation for eating an apple. And maybe you've seen the photographs or the imagery of this. But come on, who's ever been tempted to eat an apple? Throw some caramel on that and get back with me, right? You got some turtle cheesecake, I'm interested. But an app, so this is not about an apple or any type of fruit. The temptation is to doubt God's goodness. That's the core of this temptation. And in fact, listen to Eve's response to the serpent. This is so big. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And, and what's it say here? You must not touch it or you will die. That's not what God said. Let, let's actually go back to what God said in, in chapter 2. God said this, but, God, or, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God never said you couldn't touch the fruit. You can play catch with the fruit. You can do the first game of Fruit Ninja if you want to. Just, you just can't eat the fruit. And even this, listen, this small alteration to God's remarks suggests that Eve has already moved slightly away from believing in a good God that provides what we need to the serpent's temptation. The, the creator God is being painted as this overly harsh, repressive, boss-type figure forbidding the tree to even be touched. And see, the centerpiece of this story is the question, is God good? Like, do you trust God enough that when he says, hey, this is, like, here's all that you can have, here's all that I've given you and provided and blessed you with, here's this one thing to stay away from, that we can trust him to know that he's a good God because he's given me all this, and evidently I should stay away from this for a reason, a good reason, because he's a good God. But the serpent implies by his questions that God's holding out on Adam and Eve, keeping something good from them. So they disobey, they eat the forbidden fruit, and immediately after they eat it, look at this, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Just notice the words that are underlined. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they did what? They hid, yeah, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Man, we, we have to get this. This is such a deep truth in this story that human beings were created for intimate connection with God and each other, vulnerability without shame. That's the connection goal. That's what this couple experienced in the beginning before sin entered the world. But they doubt God's goodness they give into temptation. They recognize their vulnerability. They're filled with shame. And what do they do? They hide. And we've been hiding ever since this story, right? And maybe you're like, well, I don't, what, what do you mean? Like, I, I've never gone and, like, sowed fig leaves on them, you know, or what? Like, what are you talking about hiding? Well, there's all kinds of ways we do this. Let me just show us a few. Uh, what, what about this? Ways that we hide. Achievement. And, and maybe you relate to this, maybe not, but sometimes, especially, I'm, I'm tempted to hide behind, look at what I've accomplished, or look at what I've done, or I, I don't need people in my life, because we just hide behind something, like when life is going really well, 
We can hide behind that and not be real with each other. Here's another one. Maybe we hide behind humor. That's one I, I particularly struggle with. Because I'll hide behind saying something funny or sarcastic to keep others from seeing the real me or going deeper into the conversation. Like I'll make a joke if something's getting uncomfortably real. Some of you might connect with that. Maybe for you it's distance. And this could be emotional or physical. Like when, like when we start to feel vulnerable and, and open, like we start to retreat from those that we're getting close with. Or maybe you hide through, this one's different, religion. That one feels different, right? But this is, like, this is the temptation of the serpent in the garden, to, to view God as this legalistic, doesn't want you to have any fun, you can't even touch the fruit kind of leader. And when we see God in that way, this overly harsh kind of dictatorial boss, when we see God that way, you can't help but feel shame. Maybe some of your church experiences brought some of that on. When we view God in that way, it just floods our life with shame. But religion is an easy place to hide, adhering to the rules and rituals without being real with God and others. That's what religion is, adhering to the rules and rituals without being real with God and others. And it makes us feel better because we're checking all the religious boxes and church attendance and reading the Bible and prayer, and it looks good to our Christian friends, but we're not being real. We're not being real. Achievement, humor, distance, religion, on and on and on. So how do we come out of hiding and connect at this deep level with others, the way we were designed to connect? Well, like I said before, the only way to truly connect is vulnerability without shame. To stop hiding, stop covering up, and to allow ourselves to be seen. I'm not talking about going back to the garden and walking around naked. You will get arrested. That's not what we're talking about. That is an illustration of what we're talking about. Vulnerability without shame. See, here, here's today's big idea. The only on-ramp to true connection is vulnerability. It's the only way. For this level of connection that we were all designed for, that God created us for, the only on-ramp is vulnerability. So, I want to end with a vulnerability challenge. And this is going to be really practical. And if you heard nothing else, you got to zone in on this, because this is what we need to get, okay? I, I want us to think about the people that we're close with or that we long to be close with, and I'm going to give us a challenge of how we can be more vulnerable in our relationships. And I'm going to give us four possible ways, and, and my hope is you pick one of these and try one of them and just see what happens, see how the connection goal is achieved. First challenge, here it is. Answer people honestly when they ask, how are you doing? One, one of the staff members of Revolution came in this week and, it, it, and we have some staff members that have some really high emotional IQ and relational IQ, and I'm so thankful for that because I'm not always the best. And um, so we had a staff member come in, and another staff member immediately noticed, like, hey, there might be something going on. They said, hey, how are you doing? And this other staff member said, not good, and just began to just share his heart and things that were going on. And so we just gathered around them, and we prayed for him right then and there. That, that's the power of what can happen with just this simple next step right here. And I'm not saying that you do that with everyone, okay? Here, this is a really important thing to note. The level of vulnerability should always match the level of your relationship. So this is not like you're going down the cereal aisle at Walmart and you run into an old high school friend and you start to spill your guts out to them. They, they will look at you like I did the selfie girls in Memphis, right? What? That, that is not the connection goal next step. 
Okay, there has to be a level of relationship there already. And, and I think we need to be careful when it's someone of the opposite gender, too. That's just something we need to think about. But, but most of us, we probably have a default response when someone asks, you know, how, how are you doing? And my default response is doing good. I said it multiple times today. Doing good. Because it's quick. It's concise. It's like, I got to get stuff done. I don't have time for a relationship right now. I just got to, and, and I can usually walk away as I'm saying it. But many times when I say it, I'm not really doing good. And I, I'm sure you identify with that. And I was thinking this week, though, why do I do that? Why, why am I not real with this? Well, the, the biggest reason for me, and you got to think about for you, but the biggest reason for me is busyness. And I, I get in the mode of I got to get this done and this done. And so I, I just don't carve out the time needed to be real in this area. Uh, maybe for you, it's like you want to protect your social media persona of life is always going great, right? Like hair is always looking good. Kids are always smiling. House is always tidy. So I can't be real because it's going to mess up that persona I have. So what, what is it? What, 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 why can't we be real here? So here, here's a simple way to do this. It doesn't have to take much time even. even. To answer this question honestly and vulnerably, you don't have to say much. Maybe it's something like this. How are you doing? And you just say, I'm doing okay, but I am stressing about blank. Or I'm doing okay, but I am struggling with blank. And you fill in that blank. Maybe it's family, work, uh, just some specific thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, but I'm really worried about my health. I, you know, whatever it is. That's a simple way. And who knows how just that simple statement can open up this connection goal as you take a next step. Okay, so that's, that's vulnerability challenge number one. Number two's harder. Ready? Admit a weakness. Admit a weakness. This is a tough one. We don't like to do this. Even when we admit weaknesses, sometimes it's like a humble brag. Like, I'll tell you, my problem is I just, I just work too hard. That's my problem. Or my is I just, I just care too much. That's why. I'm talking like a real weakness, okay? Like something that's a little bit more difficult to share. And, and so maybe a specific challenge with this is like I'm going to make it a priority to just speak a weakness to someone that I'm close with once a week. And it might start very surfacy, and it might take some time to build that trust and to go deeper. But admit a weakness. Vulnerability challenge number three. Give a compliment. And this, again, this one seems a little bit different, right? We, we don't often associate being vulnerable with giving a compliment, but it can be more challenging than you think. Like, have you ever noticed how it's, it's easier to compliment someone like you're acquainted with or, or maybe you don't even know that well than it is to compliment someone close to you? And sometimes being honest with someone in your family about how you feel about them is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. So here's some practical ways we can do this. Maybe it's telling your sibling how, like, something that you appreciate about their personality uh, or texting a good friend that you haven't talked to in a while and just telling them how much you appreciate their friendship. Or maybe it's like Valentine's Day and you have that Valentine's Day card. It's not just signing your name to it. Love you, hunky babe. You know, it's like you write, you write some phrasing, like, specific to him or her, like, I appreciate this about you. Or maybe it's a poem. Maybe it's a poem. I'm not leaving that alone. That's going to come out every week of this series. Maybe it's a poem. So d don't withhold words that could be life-giving to someone just because it can feel vulnerable or uneasy to you. Okay? Give a compliment and then vulnerability challenge number four. Write a poem. I'm kidding. Speak up about a hurt. Speak up about a hurt. When, when someone accidentally or even harder intentionally does something or says something to hurt you, Say something about it. 
Speak up about it. Challenge it. Because being hurt is going to happen. We know that by now, right? Being hurt's going to happen, and we're, we're going to feel hurt and feel offended by people. And rather than holding it in and letting it fester, we need to speak it with love and grace. At the appropriate time, sometimes that appropriate time is right then and there. Sometimes we need to process it and think through it, and how are we going to talk about this? But, but we got to speak it. And I'm not talking about gossip either, where you speak it to someone else. I'm talking you speak it to the person that hurts you. Speak up about a hurt. And that's the four-part vulnerability challenge because vulnerability is the only on-ramp to true connection. That's, this is tough. This is hard. Here's the hope. Check this out. You ready for some hope? So back, back to the story, the garden story. Check it out. Uh, so God you know, creates the garden, all this beautiful, bountiful stuff, and says, all of it's yours. Just don't eat from this one tree. Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree. Of course, they're tempted. They eat the fruit. They feel ashamed. They know they've messed up. They go and hide, right? But look at what happens in the story. Check this out. Let's throw that verse from Genesis on there. The Lord God, he, he first comes down to the garden, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. We messed up. We felt the shame. And God came down and he covered it up for this couple. He fixed this problem that they created. Check it out. Go to, let's go to the New Testament, Galatians. Look at this. This, you got, this is so big. So in Christ Jesus, you who are children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. See, this is what Jesus came to do. This is what the cross is about, that Jesus gave it all for our sin and our mistakes and our shame. Like we messed it up, and he covers it through the cross. And more than covers it, he washes it away. It's cleansed. That's the story of hope. That's how we can be real with each other because it's covered, friends. Jesus covered it, right? That's something to celebrate. So if you're here today, maybe, maybe you haven't taken that step of accepting Jesus and that covering of your sin, that cleansing of your sin. Today can be the day. That prayer room is going to open in 10 seconds. And I would encourage you, if you want to take that step to be a Jesus follower, today is the day. Make your way back to that prayer room. Take that bold step. Take that step of placing your faith. Or if you need prayer for something else, that's going to be open for this entire last song that we're going to do as we proclaim the truth of what Jesus came to do. Let's stand together and sing.